missed his chances. Oh, brilliant goal! A brilliant goal! Remember the name, Wayne Rooney. Pirlo, 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 ancora, Pirlo, di tacco, tiro, What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Footy Fans Podcast. Andrew Santo and Joe coming at you. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast. That's the way you can find us. We're here to wrap up the EPL weekend for match week... Who? 10? 10? Question mark? 11? 11 slash 12. Yeah, it's still inconsistent because of just all of game postponements happening this... Uh, this calendar year so far, but we had some good games on the schedule this weekend. Um, some games that were played midweek last week. We won't, we won't really touch on those ones, but um, the last weekend of play happening over the 22nd, 23rd, 24th yep. of October. Um, Chelsea United, that was probably the biggest uh, the biggest one to look at. Tottenham-Newcastle, low-key, like a top-five battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll touch on that one too. Man City, keep rolling. Arsenal drop points, Liverpool drop points, Leicester pulls himself out of the relegation zone. We'll get to all that and more. Boys, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. We had uh, a lot of action, like you said, Uh, but I always like to see those games that happen where it's like, if anyone wants to get into soccer, this is the game you have to watch, and I think Chelsea Man U is one of those games. Uh, 0-0 for almost the entire game. And the last five minutes was probably like one of the most entertaining sports things that you'll ever see. Uh, just see all the hype. Um, so for anyone trying to get into soccer, that might be a good one to watch. See how exciting an almost 0-0 game could be with it ending in a tie anyway. Uh, definitely recommend that one. Exciting? <laughs> exciting? I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like a, I don't know. Is what it is for eighty minutes, and then PK, and then last minute goal. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you could throw exciting in the mix, I guess, for for description. It's frustrating from my standpoint, obviously, <laughs> being a Chelsea fan. But um, no, you, you made a good point. Yeah, like football is not; it's more than just you know the the high drama of like, throughout the entire match. You know, it's more than Haaland scoring three goals a game. It's more mm-hmm. than uh, you know somebody screwing up and causing red cards and all that, you can have a good game still go almost 90 minutes without scoring. And then obviously late game drama happens. In this case, the Chelsea, I think they came out kind of flat in this match. It was at home too. So again, Stanford Bridge is not the fortress it used to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was, I, I think I just saw something today actually on Twitter. Uh, we're recording this on October 26th. I saw a thing on Twitter. It was like 14 years ago today, Liverpool beat Chelsea's like 89 game unbeaten record at home or something. Yeah. Or Chelsea lost to Liverpool at Sanford Bridge for the first time in 89 games or whatever it was. 
that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just Chelsea's standpoint, but in the world of football, you know, you don't really have the dominant home force like we used to in a lot of uh, a lot of places. And it kind of it's kind of a good thing, I think, because there's more transparency now and in the league, right? There's more yeah. good teams. There's more competition. Uh, you don't want to always see one team be completely dominant, even like the Man Cities, the PSGs, the Real Madrids. They drop games at home all the time now, too. But for the longest time, being a Chelsea supporter, I saw Stamford Bridge as that kind of fortress. And now you have teams like Bournemouth going in there, uh, mm. Southampton, uh, Sunderland, like I mean, from years ago. You know, taking points away from Chelsea, and then in this game too, thought they had thought we had the deal sealed in the 87th minute PK. Questionable, maybe from McTominay. Oh, uh, he took down Loftus. Who took down Broja in the box there? I think it was just a dumb move by him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you just can't do that. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, you can't. You're never gonna get away with wrapping your hands around a striker, right? So, uh, it's tough. I mean, it sucks because he like just came on. Yeah, yeah and I, like six minutes earlier, the 80th minute. I actually really like how this is called the PK because how many times have we seen, uh, especially in kind of our earlier years of watching the EPL, when literally the defenders were getting away with anything in the box. Like you, if you were a striker trying to score off a corner kick, the defenders were ripping you down and holding you every which way and the rest were never going to give a PK for any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do like how they're calling these because they are fouls. I mean, you're you're trying to attack the ball and a defender has his arms all over you pulling you down. In any situation, if a, if a ball was coming in as a pass and the defender did that to you and you went to go control the ball, it'd be a PK. So I don't know why in the past they were never calling these, but I'm, I'm happy to see that they are. Was it called a PK on the field? I kind of forget, to be honest. Yeah, I think pretty sure it was and we're gonna look at the highlights but oh that's the last goal yeah i'm like 90 percent sure it was called a pk on the field yeah like look we're just watching the highlights like <laughs> hands all over him yeah once you put two hands on someone it's yeah yeah and uh yeah he gave him uh, he did call it right away yeah, called yeah. it i mean look at this he's got him yeah the two hands that's mm-hmm. yeah yeah and anyone who wants to see it it's at the 84th minute uh, in the match, yeah. If you go on uh, Fubo TV, it is like the two twenty minute mark on the highlight pack between Chelsea Man U. Yeah, and the commentators made a good point. I think it was was it Andy Townsend. I'm not quite sure actually who the commentator was, the secondary guy, but he was saying like, okay, you have your arms wrapped around him. That's fine for the beginning, but then in your head count to two maybe, and then let go. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you can't let it drag on like Broja made the run from just just inside the 18 yard box and he didn't get he didn't go down until almost like the penalty spot or yeah. like the six yard area so that's about 10 yards of grappling <laughs> that took place right and you just can't do that no and for McTominay to come on and that be your first major contribution to the match like obviously that's a pretty big eyesore for a guy trying to get into the side yeah Um, but as we see in the, in the next few minutes here in the highlight pack Manu gets bailed out by Casemiro. Chelsea just, again, lackluster defending. This has kind of been Chelsea's issue like all season now, where it's it's been a weird mix because like last year we had a hard time scoring goals. Like Obviously, Lukaku did not do his part, but mm-hmm. the defense stepped up under Tuchel, and we were winning, Chelsea was winning games 2-1, 1-0. This crap late <laughs> game is like the Chelsea of old that haunts me. Like As a Chelsea supporter, they, yeah, the goal came in the 87th minute. There was not one fiber in my body that was comp- like that was 
confident that Chelsea was going to win this game. Yeah. <laughs> like, after that win, I'm like, okay. Like, I was happy. I did a little fist pump. I was like, yeah. But I'm like, okay. Eight, seven minutes. Still three minutes to play. They're going to add at least five minutes. They end up adding six. Mm-hmm. So that's almost nine minutes of time to play still. I'm like, there is no way in hell Chelsea can escape this yeah. game confidently right now. And Keppa did all he could on the save. Uh, he's had a bit of a resurgence now under under Graham Potter coming in instead of Mendy. Um, he's starting every game, I think, since Potter has been there almost. Yeah. But, again, just lackluster defending. You're leaving a player like almost wide open in the box. Like You can't be mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. Like just where's the the zonal marking? I don't know if that's what they're doing. I don't know if there's two guys actually there. Yeah. I think the other guy was like McTominay on the far post. Yeah. Um it's one of those things you you get a goal and you kind of know you're going to be on the back foot for the rest of the game. Um you're trying to protect your lead and you're playing man you and they're going to throw everything at you. Uh it's that's what makes the difference between the top teams and uh teams fighting just for that fourth spot is they can see out these kind of games. Um, obviously makes it really exciting for us. Uh, but yeah, if you, if Chelsea want to start competing for the title, you can't be dropping points to your, like one of your biggest rivals at home late in the game. Uh, cause it just kills your confidence. Um, cause you, you want to trust your defense to be able to see, uh, these kind of games out and get that marking. And they just didn't do it in this, in this situation. That's a good point. Like I'll let you talk in a second there, Joe. <laughs> Um, there's only yeah, there's less than a handful of teams, even like worldwide, that obviously have like a really star-studded side on paper, but also know how to play the game properly. Yeah, like I'd put Man City in that category. Um, Liverpool has had a tough time this season, but I put them in that quarter- category as well. And then from the EPL as well, Arsenal is like kind of getting mm-hmm. into that tier yeah. of like understanding how to play and like playing smart. Chelsea has been missing that for a while now yeah because like, like you just said like the good teams know how to see out wins and i guess I said before chelsea has had a hard time the last maybe five seasons six seasons where they might have a late lead even if they don't score late to take the lead they could have a one nil lead going into the 75th 80th minute and i'm still not confident they're going to get out of this game yeah yeah uh, with three points and that just does separate you know like i said like the top echelon teams from everyone else and it probably will be a learning curve. It probably will be Graham Potter having to have more time there as Chelsea boss, more than just a month and a bit, or maybe almost two months now since he's been there, um, to get you know the guys under his style of play and more confident. But as a Chelsea fan, I want results now. Still, like I want, <laughs> I want it. Like if when you have that lead, when you have that eighty-five percent win in the back pocket, you gotta see it through. Yeah. Especially a game against Man against Man United, yeah, like your closest rival, basically in the standings. Yeah, just one of those things. Um, every team, <laughs> at some point or another, goes through it where, you know, you, <laughs> you just don't see it through to the end, right? Um, granted, though, I am pretty impressed with Graham Potter. He's really put his foot down. Um, you know, maybe on some level, uh. He'll consider the even though this was a little bit disappointing. I, it's probably I don't know. You can correct if I'm wrong as a Chelsea fan. Um, just the way he's carried the team since he's gotten there, I think it's been mostly positive. Yeah, yeah, it's been mostly positive because they're getting results. Is the thing they haven't lost yeah. yet since he's been there. Uh, they won yesterday in Champions League to progress to the round of sixteen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, him coming in there after. 
um, losing to Dinamo Zagreb like they did in in Croatia uh, back in September, I believe, he had like a pretty steep road to climb from that point on. Mm-hmm. So I think we touched on a couple of episodes ago. He can't really go downhill from here. Yeah, like the like if he. And if he did, I think the expectation, like, I think the the blame wouldn't be used on him that much. It'd be more on the players and ownership and all that kind of stuff. It'd be like he wouldn't have as much, as much pressure. I, I think he came in not having much pressure because it's like he just has to not be seventh place right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like they were like Chelsea was in a low point at that point in the season. That's why Tuchel obviously got fired. So I think Graham Potter coming in there, he didn't have huge expectations like from the Chelsea supporters and everyone else looking around him. Mm-hmm. I think that we just kind of saw him and say, okay, come in and like, clean up a little bit, but like, you know, stay fifth, stay fourth, stay third. Yeah. Well, fourth and fourth and third, especially at least. But um, like, just don't, don't do worse than what just happened. Yeah. yeah. Which is like kind of easier said than done, I guess. But since he has been in there, yeah, Chelsea, we've tied a few games. We've won majority of them. Uh, we've only given up, I think, three goals so far under him. Uh, we scored about 13 or 14. Um, maybe more than that now, actually, with the Champions League game that was played yesterday. But a goal differential at least plus 12, plus 13 since Potter's been there in the last couple of months. So that's obviously a huge positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but then again, that being said, when you're playing a game against Man United and you have like the win in your back pocket, like I said, you got to see that through. Like It's not... It's not Villa away like they had mm-hmm. earlier. It's not, you know, Bournemouth away and you kind of just like squeak out a one nothing win. You have Man United one spot away from you in the table at home, a lead with four minutes to go basically in the game, and you blow it. Like, you got to win that game. Yeah. I think they'll be disappointed that of all people is Casemiro, who just kind of strolled into the box <laughs> and got a header out of all people. Probably, yeah. Um. You know. At that point, I don't care who it was. It could have been freaking Luke Shaw. I don't know. It could have been De Gea. I don't care. Like, yeah. Just the fact that it went in again. It's just it's. I've seen it happen so many times. I remember this one game against Liverpool. I think 2015 or something or 2017 maybe. Same situation. Chelsea scored like late to go up against Liverpool, and I was like so jacked, and I'm mm-hmm. like, Andrew, stop. Like, t- I had like tell myself, like, don't get ahead of yourself. It's Chelsea you're talking about. Liverpool come back and tie. Then they Liverpool came back and won. I think they scored two goals and that's like four or five minutes to win the game. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell just happened? I think I remember that. It was like I think it was nil nil, or it was like one one the entire game. Chelsea goes up with like five minutes to play. Liverpool comes back and scores two goals in the last like seven minutes total. And Chelsea lost. And I was like, What the hell? I'm pretty just sure happened? I remember this game. Steve, did Steven Jared get the third goal? <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's probably, it's probably Torres, probably Jared, like Everyone who haunts Chelsea to this day. Oh. Um, actually, Jared did help us out the one time, though. Yeah. A little foot slip. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Demba ba. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it was, yeah, from my, from my point of view, it was, it was a tough one because this game could have meant a lot in the standings. Chelsea could have been sitting in third place right now with everything else happening this weekend like it did. Um, but I, and it's again, it's a missed opportunity. It's points dropped. Chelsea with two draws in a row back to back. First one against Brentford midweek. Um, away, that game finished nil nil. That was kind of a tough one to watch too. Yeah, and then again this one, blowing the late lead that they um that they got to to Man United, and this is going to feel like a win for Man U. Uh, mm-hmm. We touched on it last week's podcast, saying how Man U really has to start winning the games or coming out strong against the teams ahead of them, because those are the guys that they're chasing. 
Mm-hmm. And midweek last week, they had a confident 2-0 win against Tottenham, which was huge for them. And then, like I said, the, the late draw against Chelsea, another boost for their confidence. They're sitting at zero goal differential, which is kind of similar to what they did last season, which is uh, pretty funny. Yep. Um, 16 goals for, 16 against. That 16 goals for kind of sees them being where they should be in the table. Mm-hmm. But those 16 against, that puts them, you know, bottom tier. Yeah. In the goals against department. So I think that's been maybe um, part of like how they started at the beginning of the season because they got a lot of goal scores against them early on. Yep. It's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Arsenal last year about, oh my God, is Arsenal and Man U going to be relegated? What's going to happen? Because they haven't they didn't win a game in their first two, three games of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave up a lot of goals. They didn't really score many. Harry, uh, Harry Maguire was still playing for some reason. And then since that transition since Ten Hag has really put his foot down and stopped playing Ronaldo, we can, we can talk about that too, the whole Ronaldo uh, saga going yep. on at United. Um, since he's really done that, they've turned their season around a little bit. They've got four games in a row where they've gotten at least points. Um, <laughs> they've three, gotten points? Well, <laughs> yeah, they, I haven't mean, lost, lost. they haven't lost. They're undefeated in four. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Undefeated <laughs> in four in the Premier League. Um, and again, like the, the two biggest games in the last week or so against Tottenham and, and uh, Chelsea, two teams that they're chasing, that's a positive for Man U. And they're going to look at this game as a win against Chelsea in their eyes because they were yeah. they were dead dead to rights, basically, with a couple minutes to go. And they pull one out of their ass to get a point off it, finish with four points out of a possible six against two teams that they're chasing. That's a good week for them. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've made uh, some grounds on Tottenham with that win. I mean, that was probably going to be one of their biggest wins of the season uh depending on how their season turns out but that's a that's a six point swing um between them and tottenham who's uh sitting above them in the table right now uh so that's it's huge because if they if they win their game in hand they're gonna be tied on points uh and they're they're really starting to compete for that champions league spot um i think i had them as finishing fourth uh, at the start of this year, just with seeing what Ten Hag was doing, and um, I don't, I, I'm really impressed with how Newcastle is playing, and we can touch on that with uh, Amaron, um, and what he's been doing. But uh, I think I'm still putting them as my pick for fourth this season. I think Ten Hag. Uh, is really putting his foot down at the club and making it his own. I'll put in the spot real quick. If they're fourth, who's your third? Tottenham. Ouch. <laughs> Tough. I just I just think the the inconsistency that Chelsea's going through right now, um, and the fact that they're still having issues seeing out games and really confidently scoring. Um, unless Aubameyang really finds a stride at some point in the season, I think they're going to find it a little bit tough. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I honestly have no idea because I know that this mid-season, month-and-a-half-long break yeah. is going to mess up so much stuff. So It really is. And not to mention, like, injuries in the World Cup too, right? Yeah. Like, look at the top the top eight teams. Everyone's got players playing for them in the World Cup. Yeah. Sure. We come back from the World Cup and it's like, oh, Manu's got five guys though because of injuries in the World Cup. So it's it's obviously really tough to tell. But barring any 
massive changes to the teams. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be like I said, it's gonna be a two season season going on right now. Um, so I think November thirteenth was the last. <laughs> we got Meeks here eating some cheese. Um, November thirteenth, I think is the last uh, mm-hmm. game week before the World Cup. Something like that. Yeah, and then they're back <laughs> right before Christmas. Are they, are they are they back Boxing Day or something? I or? think the twenty third. So twenty third. Yeah, last game week or twenty sixth. Yeah, last game's thirteenth. Yeah, and then uh, back Boxing Day. 26th. Back on Boxing Day. Lovely. Yeah. So month. Love that Christmas grind. Oh my God! Look at these games. I'm telling you, like that's what I mean. You're coming back. <laughs> you're coming back from the World Cup. You go back to no the Premier League. Get to the Premier League. <laughs> well, we got like five games in the next two weeks. <laughs> Madness. Yeah, for those yeah, for those players to make it all the way to like semifinal finals, obviously. Yeah. That's not much time. No. And like the travel clearly from Qatar back home to to England. Mm-hmm. Get you know, get acclimated again with the weather, first of all. And yeah. Because you're gonna go be from summer in Dubai to or uh, Qatar. Yeah. To middle of winter in, in England. Yeah. So that'll be tough. And then get back with your teammates, obviously, and all that. and <laughs> Play yeah. the games. Like, what are you going to do? Like, the first game's back, too. Let's see if there's any, like, barn burners the first game back. Um, like, Let's go to, because I think, like, a team like City would obviously have, like, some of the more, or really any of the top six. Of course, City, so, like, gets, they come City back. an extra two-day break. Of course, City does. Oh, yeah. They're playing on the 28th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, 28th. 31st and then fifth against Chelsea. Fifth, yeah, we'll see who's fit for that game. Yeah, Chelsea City on January 5th. Yeah, probably no one. We'll see. But then I think after after those three game weeks, then you'll see where, yeah, we'll see where everyone's at. Yeah, finish out the rest of this, like Joe said, first season of two basically. And then, yeah, the, the time back is going to be wild. Again, barring injuries, barring anything else happening, um, we'll see. Co- you know, confidence levels could change based on the World Cup. You could have some guy who has an absolute standout performance in the tournament comes back and you know lights it up for England somewhere, or lights it up in England. And mm-hmm. it could be the other way too. It could be you know someone like Mosala having a terrible tournament, or um, you know players like I don't know Harry Kane or something like having like a poor tournament coming back and you know playing play for Tottenham like it's it can be a whole range of emotions and um for anybody basically which can affect any team at any time yeah um but yeah we did touch on Tottenham earlier with with United dropping points in their game and they lost again against Newcastle uh again like I said low-key top four top five battle now that Newcastle has that win they're sitting in the fourth Champions League spot tied with Chelsea on 21 points but have five more goals. They have a 10, and Chelsea has a five in that department. Uh, convincing win against Newcastle, against Tottenham. I know it said 2-1 in the score sheet, but it was uh, it was more than that. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's one of those games where maybe Nuke or maybe Tottenham had a little bit more possession of it of the ball. Um, they might have had more chances and all that kind of stuff, like shots towards target, but the quality came from Newcastle. The bigger saves came from Lloris. Yeah. And... If not for him, this game could have finished maybe four one, four two, yeah. in favor of Newcastle because, like I said, they didn't maybe have like the possession of the shots, uh, shots 
towards target like Tottenham did, 17 to 13. Uh, they both had five shots on target, so five saves from the keepers. But Newcastle just seemed to be more clinical in this game. And like Santo touched on, Miguel Amaron having a breakout season this year with Newcastle kind of showcased that a little bit last year too. He's been a growing player at Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And under Eddie Howe, he's really seemed to rise to the occasion the last year or so. And with the new ownership coming through and the new money and the new spending, the new players, it kind of seems to give him a little fire under his ass to play a little bit better. And all cylinders are firing for, for Newcastle. Yeah. They really are. And I'm really liking this project that's going on. And Project. Good way to call it. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> Newcastle project. Uh, Eddie, Eddie, like I really like Eddie Howe. Um, I I really want to see him just turn into one of those top managers and be competing with Klopp and uh, Pep because uh, I think he's got a really bright future ahead of him. And the fact that he's with Newcastle, all this money, uh, I think... I think, you know, with the direction they're going in, um, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in the next few years with the team. But, yeah, it was it was one of those wins where it was 2-0 and then uh, Tottenham got one uh, later in the second half. But until then, it was just Newcastle just kind of rolling. And then they had to see it out for the last little bit. And they, that's the thing. They saw the game out, held on, and they got three points. Um but yeah, Amaron having six goals right now this season, sitting fifth uh, at the Golden Boot uh, spot. You mean, you I mean, mean the Holland Boot? Yeah, I mean the, it's, just, the, it's really funny. The, just you mean the trophy it. that Holland's for sure gonna win? Yeah, Halland, <laughs> unless he gets injured. Holland sitting at seventeen goals right now for the season. Uh, Harry Kane is in second with ten, and we've played uh, eleven or twelve games depending on what team you're on, which is still just crazy. I yeah. was watching. <laughs> Impressive from Kane's yeah, to be there. Kane's like, like I'm scoring like a goal a game. I'm not even close. Yeah, so it's Ugh. it's one of those things where if Holland was having this this kind of season, everyone would be talking about Harry Kane's goal because it's it's really good. It's true, yeah. Almost a goal a game, like Joe said. Um, or Alexander Mitrovic, too. Nine goals right now for Fulham. <laughs> but when you have a guy like Holland who's 17, just um, – I think I might have mentioned this last podcast where a commentator was saying if he goes at this rate, he's going to score 72 goals in the Premier League, which is... Get the hell out of here. Uh, you know, I'm going to say it's not going to happen because statistically wise, statistics speaking, statistically speaking, um, that would just be absolutely insane. But, um, yeah, the the fact that Amaran has been putting in these performances is really cool to see. Cause last season they were talking about how it's hard to put or quantify how valuable he is to the team. Cause he wasn't scoring, but everyone knew he was having an impact on the, on the team. So it's good to see him start to put in these performances and get uh, those goals. Cause I think he's one of those players that obviously add a lot of value to the team. And um, it translates to the other players too, right? Right. Um, I do want to touch on something with Holland where uh, it's just, you know, obviously all the speculation that was happening with him going to the EPL and you've had so many big players come to the EPL and not put uh, performances in. But uh, one guy was saying how, uh, you know, everyone shouldn't be expecting so much from Holland and he's not the player that everyone thinks he is. And if he has a 15 goal season, it would be a success. And for me, I just really like it when you have a player come to the EPL and they actually completely exceed everyone's expectations. Uh, I I really enjoy it because um, it's one of those things, and it's kind of 
uh, funny when you have uh, people that are really harsh critics on players um, making like harsh assumptions on what they're going to be able to do or not do. Uh, and uh, they just come out and prove them wrong. I just really, really enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of... Um, I know there's always the thing, oh, he's going to come to the EPL. And like historically speaking, we have had a lot of strikers come <laughs> from different leagues. And it's like, oh, you're going to be the number nine at Chelsea or Man U. And Does it Chelsea? They do. Well, I mean, <laughs> Lukaku, I don't even know. because he was ar- That was strange because he was already in the EPL. But anyway, um, and for whatever reason, it is a little bit hard to adjust for strikers. But with him, he's just, like I said, uh, exceeded expectations. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of odd. It's like, oh, he's not going to he's not going to perform or he is going to perform. It's like, you know, obviously you're going to have to wait and see what happens um, and then judge from there. And obviously he's doing what he does best. Um, and I, obviously there are a lot of people like, oh, he just scores tappins. A lot of weird stuff I've seen. It's like, oh, like he's only this good because he's at City and he's getting such good delivery. Not true. Um, I'm sure, uh, like, obviously, if you don't have someone like De Bruyne giving you perfect deliveries, you're going to score less goals. That doesn't necessarily mean your ability to put the ball in the back of the net is less because you don't have other players around you. So that's kind of a very strange thing. It's like, oh, he has like these players like putting it on a play for me and he's scoring. And so he wouldn't be able to do that if he was on a, on a team that was giving him that delivery. It's like, even if that's true, that doesn't say anything about him necessarily. Um, and people say it's like, oh, well, he can't create it for himself. It's like, well, that's not even his game. Like people, the weird, I might have talked about this last podcast. I might go on a little bit of a rant here. Go ahead. It's, our um, it's like, oh, he's not like Messi can do this and Erling Haaland can do this and Mbappe's better because Mbappe can create it for himself. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm like an operations manager, I train my whole life to be an ops manager. You can't say it's like, oh, well, you can't do the marketing aspect of your job. So therefore, you're not as good. It's like, I'm a completely different built person. Howland's built to be a box striker that gets the scrappy goals inside the box. So that's why Pep got him. Because you look back in the day with Sterling, um, he wasn't putting those chances away. So Pep's like, I need someone that's going to put these situations in the back of the net. So he got him. So I think a lot of the criticism I hear is a little bit strange um, because it's not really conducive of like a, what he was bought for and B what he's actually producing. Yeah. So just wanted to point that out. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. (laughs) We're going to, I I totally agree. And for the people who are saying he just gets tapping goals or he needs someone to rely on for assists and whatnot to be a top tier player. His before this season at Man City, he played 67 Bundesliga games for Dortmund, scored 62 goals. Don't think he had De Bruyne passing the ball there. For Salzburg, the season before that, he played 16 games in the Austrian league and scored 17 goals. Yeah, I don't think De Bruyne was there either. Yeah. So you go look at his highlight packs before his Man City days, and he was yeah he was still scoring some tapping goals based on just situational plays that happened during the game. But a lot of the time, too, he's scoring outside the outside the 18-yard box. He's scoring head balls. He's challenging for the ball. He's outrunning players, out-hustling players, being more physical, being clinical as hell. And I don't see anything different than he does from what Lewandowski does yeah. or Ibrahimovic or a player of his size or stature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, he's, his, he, lacks, he lacks footwork. He's not going to be Neymar and, you know, 
dribble three guys and score a goal like that. That's not what he does. And mm-hmm. even the commentators during the game against um, against Brighton, they touched on that. He had a chance where he had the ball in the 18-yard box, and he tried to dribble some guy, and kind of like stumbled over the ball and lost the possession. And they made a comment saying, like, he's not a dribbler. Yeah. Like, they're like, if there's one thing he lacks in his repertoire, it's, it's his dribbling ability, mm-hmm. which is true. He's 22 years old, and he's also, you know, six foot five. Yeah, yeah can't he's dribble. Gigantic. <laughs> You're not going to be able to dribble. He's an entire foot taller than Messi. So, like, he's going to have some slight disadvantages just because of his body size, but then he also makes his advantages work to his advantage. Yeah. The fact that he is six foot five, he wins more head balls than anybody else. Yeah. yeah. He has longer strides. He can carry more pace. He's he's a complete specimen of a player. And the fact that he is only 22 years old and his prime is yet to come is a scary thing to happen. Mm-hmm. When he is putting away gold totals, you know, more than a goal a game for his professional career. Yeah. In the in a couple of the biggest leagues in, in Europe. Yeah, for me, uh, when I hear the criticism that, you know, he just scores tap-ins and it's only because of the service he's getting, it's like, all right, put any other forward there right now and then show me that they're going to get 17 goals in the first 11 games in the EPL. Like, I would love to put myself there. You know what <laughs> like, I mean? <laughs> we were touching on it. We were touching on it, too. Remember, yeah. We were joking about the the one goal against Man U with the ball from De Bruyne. Oh yeah, you know it's like there's no way I was getting to that. <laughs> you know he he is getting service, but he's making the service work. Like how many how many goals has he scored where the balls come in the box, gone far post, and he's just been there when most of the time you don't see anyone there, and he gets to a ball that most people are going to get to. I mean, you can also make the argument that he's just making the service that people give to him work, and it's you know it's not like everything is always up on a platter. He yeah. finds himself in the space and he's making the service work, which I think a lot of people oversee. Yeah. Um, because he there's a lot of goals that he has to work hard to make a chance out of something. And his movement off the ball and when he gets a ball pinged into him is really, really good. Uh and I I don't know, I just think all that criticism is just you know, people salt, finding salt. finding, <laughs> salt. finding yeah. something salt. because you don't <laughs> You don't luckily get 17 goals in your first 11 games for one of the biggest clubs uh, yeah. in the world. And also, let's just say this too. The way that Man City does play, they create a lot of tapping twos. They yeah. tap in goals too. Like if there's the the, the, late, the latest fad of attacking uh, strategy, if you want to call it that, in the Premier League is you get the ball to your wings, you drive it in deep to the byline, and then you send it across the middle for a tap on the six-yard box. Man City has perfected that over the last four or five seasons under Pep, mm-hmm. where you have guys as small, let's just say that, as Phil Foden or Sterling when he was there, or even um, you know Gundogan or Gabriel Jesus, where they just literally tap in the ball from the six-yard box and they score. So that was happening mm-hmm. before he's even there. Yeah, It's not just because like he's there, that's why they're doing this. And teams have tried to mimic that. Chelsea tried to, tried to do it all the time with Timo Werner, never worked out. But that was kind of their thing. They tried to drive, drive the end line kick it back out, you know, have a tap-in opportunity. doesn't happen. Liverpool, same kind of thing. A lot of teams have tried to do this kind of style of play. Man City's just perfected it, so you can't dock them for working their asses off to perfect their attacking ability when you create tap-in goals when all you do is create goals. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't... Like, yeah. why Like why are you talking shit? Like, your team, like the team's scoring a ton of goals. <laughs> like, yeah, they are. But even if he wasn't there... Those tapping goals would still be there, but he's creating more chances than they've ever had before. Yeah, because they never had a player of his ability on the field. Yeah, like what a joy for De Bruyne. Yeah, 
Like honestly, there's I I think I touched on a couple a couple episodes ago where I was watching some pundits break down like a situational thing with De Bruyne and getting the ball in different situations where last year he didn't have the vision that he has now, where he received the ball in the middle of the pitch on a counterattacking move, he looks up the field and there's no one ahead of him. Yeah, like there's only guys to the wings. Yeah, to play the ball to. Now he receives the ball at like the center line. He looks up and De Bruyne is making a run on the final defender looking for a through ball pass. Yeah. And it's like this is completely different from what he was exposed to the last couple of seasons because there never was anybody ahead of him once he received the ball in the middle of the field. Now mm-hmm. he actually has an outlet. Like yeah. Now like his first look isn't to the wings or to play it back for someone else to rebuild play. He can actually receive the ball, carry a couple of yards, and then play a beautiful through ball pass for a guy busting his ass off to make a run. Yeah. And it's just, again, it's a whole different style of play that we haven't seen before under Man City, and it's kind of unfair. It's, like, it's a bit of a cheat code for, mm-hmm. for Man City, I think. But, yeah. You know, I can't can't complain about it because it's working. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see how this uh, this goal tally keeps racking up uh, week in, week out for, for this kid. Uh, kid. So he is <laughs> He's three years older than, or three years older than my niece, four years? Four years older than Isabella. Yeah, twenty-four years. Twenty-two years old. Yeah. Um. You know, hopefully he doesn't pick up any injuries in uh, the World Cup. because uh, I think everyone wants to see how this season going to go for him as he stays healthy. Uh, but I would say at this point, um, I think the Golden Boot is probably going to be locked up for him. Um, knock on wood that he stays healthy. Um, because I've never seen anything like this. 17 goals, 11 games. If you can get to the two goal per game mark, that'll be something. There's your 72. What's that? There's your 72 goals. Yeah, I just mean like soon, like if he gets... If, no, if I don't know, but you said that a commentator was saying that he was going to get 72 goals this year. Yeah. That's that's 30, you know, two goals a game, 30... Yeah. It would be it'd be thirty seventy six. Okay, close enough. Because he's just under math. Yeah, it's like one point uh, <laughs> like one point eight something, eight something eight five. Yeah, it's like what it is. Absolutely insane. It's probably Jim Beglin, the idiot that said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just I mean, come full circle back to Newcastle and Tottenham. That's kind of where we started this discussion on them. Um, Newcastle playing out of their minds. Um, uh, this this season. Five, win, uh, five wins, six draws, one loss. They had the highest draw total out of anybody in the league, uh, tied with Man City and Arsenal for only having one loss on the season so far. Uh, they've just been playing, playing good. Um, not, they haven't been like you know destroying teams. They've just been playing really good against teams, and they're winning the games that they have to win. That's kind mm-hmm. of what we touched on with. The likes of like Arsenal and City are kind of like what you have to do to win the Premier League. You got to win the games you got to win. And in their case, they're drawing the games that they have to draw too. Like if you can't yeah. get a win against an Arsenal or a City, then, you know, put up a tie. <laughs> put up a tie. Yeah. I mean, super exciting things at Newcastle. Um, maybe a little bit of the vibe of when City got the new ownership. And, uh, you know, you had the some well they and this is what i kind of like too they haven't splashed the money around and what i heard and i might have mentioned this before that they want to build a team the same way city did and i think that starts with the culture first so they're first looking like how do we build uh the culture at newcastle to mimic what city's doing um 
because you look at City and yes, they're a good team, but you look at the club just in general, and they're just like a well-oiled club as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All the way from the sporting director. And it's like you look at the, uh, uh, like even the wage bills, like it just seems like it's consistent that mm-hmm. there's some kind of plan around like how much like each player makes. Um, so I think it's exciting times. If they want to do that, and then we just see Newcastle become another top club and then you got like the big seven now all of a sudden that'd be interesting um but yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see how if they can get into champions league somehow this year and really it's up for grabs too you know they they got a good coach um chelsea man U, especially liverpool they're all kind of rocking the boat a little bit this season so it's not totally out of the picture for them to qualify this year um even if they don't though uh i think they'll still be pretty pretty happy with the direction they're heading in yeah the slip up slip ups of chelsea man U, and liverpool this season are kind of creating that fourth place mm-hmm. opportunity wild card spot you know? yeah yeah it's almost similar to like when lester won um you know lester won with 82 yeah. points or 80 80 something it was it was the lowest amount that any team's ever won the epl with because everyone is dropping points yeah no one is performing well tottenham finished second um so well, i think i think tana finished third day so oh well no they i remember seeing a thing is like tana finished third in the two horse race that they were in <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah, they were they were second and then when lester won did oh, liverpool man. come back arsenal i think arsenal got second. Close? Yeah. um because when <laughs> when tottenham realized they lost the title it was you know they lost their last three games or something yeah. um it was funny yeah which in in fairness you're not gonna win the title they secured champions league um you know, I, I don't remember who they were playing during those games uh, when they solidified Champions League and knew they weren't going to win the title. But yeah, I mean, if Chelsea, Man U, and Liverpool don't figure it out this season, top four is going to be wide open for a team like Newcastle to, to take advantage of it. And I would like to see uh, the tune when if Newcastle makes Champions League and all the hype that's going to be around there because yeah. you got Madrid coming to the tune yeah <laughs> Madrid Madrid coming Jesus Christ that would be that they yeah. I would imagine they've never qualified for Champions League for sure in the modern era if they, I don't know back so, in the no, day if they get like PSG coming to Newcastle in like October good freaking luck <laughs> or you know Barcelona if, if they qualify or well, I don't know. Barcelona is yeah, no, they're, they're in the, Europa League. Newcastle might like fancy that one. But I'm just saying, like, if you get these teams to come to the tune in October, boy. Yeah, um, their first Champions League appearance came in 1997-98. Yeah, that was their first one. Um, yeah, was it, was it the last? Uh, that was their first and only. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, no, it said first game. Um, their first and last appearance in the Cup Winners Cup. I don't even know what that cup is. Cup Winners Cup. Yeah, and then their is this f- another tournament that we have to figure out the Cup Winners Cup. Cup Winners I don't Cup know if it exists anymore. But their first uh, European football was in 1968-1969 for the Inner Cities Fairs Cup. That sounds legit. Yeah, that sounds like something that doesn't exist anymore. I think we played <laughs> in that once last year. <laughs> Um. Yeah. No. I, good for them. I, I get it. It's it is the influx of new ownership and new money, so you can kind of say what you want about that. But that being said, they still have to get results, mm-hmm. right? Like you could have, we've seen it before. You could have the best team on paper in the world, and you still don't win. Yeah. It, it doesn't translate results. It's, it's well, it's a very common common thing that we see in all facets of sport. 
where you had the best team, but if you can't get the best culture, you can't get the best results out of your team and the best mentality, whatever you want to call it, then you're not going to win. Yeah. And, Ar- and Newcastle, I keep seeing Arsenal. Newcastle is, um, they're doing good. Yeah. And I mean, you, I know there's cursing like, oh, City with the oil money and like whatever it is, but, you know, it's not like Man U, Liverpool, and Chelsea have spent like, they haven't spent that much less than City. Like, I don't no. even know the numbers. Um, I think Man U did spend more. I don't know about net. I don't know how that works, but like, well, City spent fifty million, what forty, fifty million on Holland, and spent and Man U spent a hundred million on Anthony. Yeah, and they, right. and I saw that, and, and they did, guessed. and I know Liverpool spent a hundred million on Nunes. I did see though that like Holland's contract is bigger over time. Regardless, though, um, you still have to spend your money well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can't just like... Spl- I mean, Man U is the prime example. They spent so much money on a ton of players and so many left for free. Um, same with Chelsea at, like on some level. I mean, they had a lot of good players. That, this, The Lukaku and Pogba thing are prime examples of like having a lot of money, putting it into a player, like hoping it works out, and then it doesn't work out, then you just take a loss on that um i mean city right now you just don't really see that so i think if newcastle can keep that mentality and understand like um that side of the club and making sure that you don't just like oh we're gonna go buy like and i use example earlier like oh we're gonna go buy hazard for like 50 million dollars and like bring him here and like eddie howe just like figure out how to like put him into your system where Mm -hmm. I do feel like the top clubs like Liverpool and City, they they build the team and get players that the manager wants. Um, so I know, like, we'll use Sanchez for as an example. I think Pep was really keen on getting Sanchez, um, but they just couldn't make it work logistically with the finances. And then they're like, hey, it's not going to work. We got to go find another player that fits the profile that Pep wants. And I think that's, I don't know if that's when they got Mars or whoever it was, but... I think if Newcastle run the system like that versus like, let's go buy five superstars and <laughs> see what we do, I think that'll put them in a good spot. That's kind of like the man, the man you way of thinking and thinking of things. Oh, yeah. Let's go buy um, Vanderbeek. Because <laughs> like, he, he's linked because he's linked and it'll be good for the club. And I think it was the same thing with Sancho. Thankfully, Sancho's like working out well right now. But well, because he's getting PT, he's getting playing time. Like, yeah. He actually can perform. Just like buying players for you're the buying, sake of it, you're buying guys and just not playing them. Yeah. Do you do you want to run us through this? Not really. I just, <laughs> can you, can you seeing, seeing run us through this spreadsheet that you pulled Especially up right now? Is at the top of the spreadsheet. I, <laughs> is this last year's? This is for this season. Okay. I made a mistake <laughs> by opening up this uh, this tab. <laughs> I I Google searched. Uh, what did I put in? Like EPL team transfer fees 2022. And I did that basically to try and see Man City's name at the top, but it's Chelsea's name. City's like what fifteenth? Yeah, they're almost last. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, because I think they or what, seventeen. What I think that because they only this bought... is based on net spending. So Chelsea that they're they're saying Chelsea spent two hundred fifty three million pounds over the course of the summer break, I guess, and they had an income of forty nine million. So their net spending was minus two hundred four. And that's yeah. the highest out of every Premier League team by one million pounds. <laughs> Man, by, who spent I think not even that's 
like what? 800? That's 600,000? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tight, to, tight to menu. Tight. Uh, and the next closest is West Ham at 147. So it's a big gap there, almost a 60 million gap. Um, yeah, Chelsea spent a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, again, the results aren't really there, but you know, you get a Bombing, you get Kukurea, Fofana. Um, what else have we got? A couple other signs were 19 million. That, Sterling. That, Sterling, yeah, Sterling's a big one. Uh, I, I, I can't pronounce his name. Koulibaly? Koulibaly's another one, but no, the kid from um, Villa or West Ham. Oh. He's like 19, Chicha, Chicha something. I can't say oh, you mean Kukurea? No, no, another player. Aronson? No, Aronson got, not leads. Or the, the G. I forget his name. No. Oh, Gallagher? Yeah, Gallagher. Well, he's already on Chelsea. He's on loan at... Oh, I didn't know that. that. Palace last year. Um, I gotta get the kid's name because I, I don't want to be rude to him. <laughs> um, anyway, Chelsea spent a shit ton of money, and heading out. I mean, again, Rudiger on a free transfer, Christensen on a free transfer. Doesn't look very good. This guy, Carney Chuka Chukwameka, Chuku No idea who this is. Yeah, he's, he's a young kid, 18 years old. Uh, Chelsea signed him from Aston Villa for 19 million. So we can look right here: 88 million for Fofana, 71 for Kukurea, 61 for Sterling, 41 Kulabali, 19 for Chuki Chuki, and Abamyang 13. <laughs> it's actually Carney Chuki. Carney Chuki Chuki Mecca. Uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money uh, spent. Yeah. And going the other way, I mean. The goat, I mean the the corpse of Werner for twenty two and Emerson who barely played, and Billy Gilmore. Those are our three big, you know, outsources I guess or out uh, outgoing players. I don't know. Is this going to translate to a winning side this year? Clearly not. Could Chelsea grow these players into, you know, more world class athletes and world class performers? Maybe. Graham Potter is going to have a tough time doing that this season. Like I said before, he came into this year with such low expectations because he came in as a replacement. He didn't come in as the guy, you know, mm-hmm. to, to lead Chelsea to the promised land. He came in as a fixer for this season. And then you kind of stake your claim come January, maybe in the transfer window there. And then obviously going forward for the next couple of seasons, he needs to have, I'm not sure exactly what his contract is. Oh, 2027. So he's got a five-year contract, which we've seen before in many seasons with Chelsea. That doesn't mean shit. Uh, if your contract's five years or not, you can get sacked after one or two seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he hopefully can stick around for these five years because he needs the time to grow this team. This isn't a Graham Potter side. I'm not sure what that means yet. I'm not sure even like what Brighton really is or what their secret sauce was to make them as successful as they were to stay in the Premier League and to stay in the top 12, top 10. Mm-hmm. But whatever it is, Potter can't do it this season with the guys that he has because these aren't his, these aren't his guys. Right. He, he didn't he didn't go get Fafana. He didn't go get Kukurea or Sterling or Koulibaly. Like they were already there at his at his uh disposal. Yeah. So same with the bombing too. Like they were just already there. So it's like here, here's these guys that didn't work with this guy. Now you have to make them work with you. It's like, okay, well, shit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'll try, guys. You know, <laughs> you just spent 200 million pounds. Like, that wasn't my money. Like, that wasn't my input on those guys. So, 
He's going to have a tough sled going forward. Again, that's kind of the advantage that Ten Hag has with Man U. He did have a summer to build his side to what they can be and like what he sees forward uh, going forward for the future. Potter, different story. But like I said, he has such low expectation that I can't be too critical over what Chelsea has done so far this year. Yeah. Um, because I do see them as playing, I guess, better. They're not being embarrassed like they were with Tuchel. I'm not as frustrated. Granted, the last game was frustrating against Man U, but with under, under Tuchel, I was getting upset because it was literally the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. That just wasn't working, and they weren't making changes. Right. Every Grand Potter side this year, other than the absence of... Oh, sorry, other than Mason Mount, and now with Reese James, um, he's basically put a new side in every single week. I, with, with those two guys, those like your, those are his first two guys he puts on the sheet. Now James is hurt, obviously, but um, Mason Mount has been like the player of the year for Chelsea the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Other than those two guys on the score sheet on the team sheet, everyone else has been in different spots, mm-hmm. and it's been a different lineup every single time. So he's trying to make the best lineup he can still make with what he has. And he's doing trial and error. Mm-hmm. With Tuchel, it was the same lineup all the time. Beating a dead horse, it was like very frustrating. Yeah. So in that standpoint, he is being different. Yeah, which is what you want to see when you have a new manager come in. Right. right. Um, change things up uh, and see if you can get a formula that works better than the previous uh, manager that came in. Um, but now back to this uh, spending sheet here. Uh, this kind of highlights the point of you know, spending your money wisely. Um, Man City with a plus of 18 with everyone, um, with all the new signings that uh, that that they've had um, with uh, Alvarez, um, Holland, obviously, and um, uh, what's uh, the, I think he's Spanish. Um, Alvarez? No, Sergio Gomez. Um so you picked up, you picked Erling Holland for sixty six. Uh, that's dollars. So that's what four forty five forty million euros, whatever that translates to in euros. But six, yeah, six million dollars. You had uh, uh, Calvin Phillips for fifty three. Um, Where's he's he had, at? He's had some injuries and hasn't really gotten uh, as much uh, playing time uh, because of that. Because he's he's going to be the one filling in uh, to that uh, defensive. Midfield role where Fernandinho, um, well, where um, Rodri, uh, Rodri slips in a lot, um, and sometimes Gundogan. But then you have uh, Akanji for twenty million, which is crazy. He's because been playing of how so good he good. Is. He's been playing every game too. He's so playing good. every game, and he's unreal. Twenty nineteen million dollars, and then you have Sergio Gomez, who's also really good for fourteen. So the fact that they've picked up four super key signings and Alvarez who was free looks like yeah Alvarez is free you have all you have four people you spent money on obviously free transfer with Alvarez all under and you get that for all under what 120 something million under 120 it was 125 total for those four players so you get, and these, uh, you can tell, like Joe said, that there's a plan to who they're picking up and they're spending money wisely. And I think that's what's been really key. I mean, even Liverpool's um, done really well with, you know, they're only at a minus uh, 8.6 uh, million, where it feels like with the players that they're bringing in, there's a very clear plan as to why they're coming into the side. Um, 
So that's why it always uh, it's always funny when I see about the the oil money comments and how there's like a lot of splash for cash going on when clearly they're spending money very um, methodically, both Liverpool and City. Um, and it's I think why they've had the success they've had in the past. Yeah. Um, like I said before, the, there's obviously a plan at City. Um, and, you know, Pep probably wanted these profile players, especially Holland. He's like, I need a number nine striker. And then I don't know where they found, like, Alvarez, though. That was just a <laughs> key signing. I know. It's like this, the season with Leicester won. Who, who, I think the scouts probably got the most credit at Leicester the season they won. Because you see all the players they had for and the money they spent to get them. I forget how much Mars costed them at the time, but it was next to nothing. It was like 800K, I think, or something. And then same with um, Conte. Conte. Yeah. Uh, Vardy was in what? He was in like League 5, like four years before they won or something. Mm-hmm. So you got to give a shout out to all the people behind the scenes. I mean, because that's where this really comes into play. When you can just scout players for nothing and get them in your side and then you can sell them for a huge price. Um, that's just good soccer business right there. And just to be a scout, to be able to see that talent from all over the world, you have literally unlimited options to go mm-hmm. to. That's awesome. So man. to find these players, like who who was the guy that found Mares? Like whoever that guy is needs a for Lester needs a pay raise. Yeah. Well, we talked about it last podcast too with Conte. Angola Conte, he came yeah. from nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Yeah, just like second league in France, <laughs> two seasons in second league of France, and then yeah, going to Leicester. Yeah, wild. So shout out whoever you are. If you ever listen to this, <laughs> shout out whoever you are. <laughs> uh, who else? Who else we got to talk to us still? I mean, we said enough of a Man City. We kind of know what they what they do. Um, I don't know who they played. They played against. Uh, it was Brighton, right? Yeah, Brighton. Um, go. You know, going back to Liverpool. Um, a little bit of a rough, rough go here. Oh my god! Did we talk about it? Did we? We did not. Lost to Nottingham Forest. Unfortunately, if you're Liverpool, I mean, I was super pumped for <laughs> Nottingham Forest. Liverpool. Um, <laughs> I was saying it before, where being Nottingham Forest at home, Liverpool comes to down and you pull out a Huge. win. Uh, I felt it from the crowd. Just how excited everyone was. Uh, huge win for them. Uh, they're obviously finding it um, a little challenging in the EPL right now, sitting at the bottom of the table. But, you know, that comes from the two wins that uh, Leicester picked up over their last two games. Um, but they're sitting ninth right now. But that win is going to give them a huge confidence boost, uh, knowing that they can pull that off. Um, but I love it. Yeah, you know, having these low wins. profile profile clubs uh, just beat out some of the top teams. Really, really good to see. Only two wins on the season. And who else they beat? Tide Everton. West Ham. Yeah. Surprising. Um, yeah. Well, West Ham's kind of had a, a downside. Yeah. I'm well. sh- West Ham and Wolves, I tell you. I don't know what's going on. I tell you. I tell you. I don't even like. Crazy, but yeah, good for them. 
taking it to Liverpool. Uh, and I said last um, podcast that Liverpool had to beat uh, West Ham and Nottingham Forest because you just came off a win at City and you want to keep the momentum going. And that was a pretty easy schedule to put a run together or to start putting a run together. But this loss to Nottingham Forest is big not, setback. Not big because you come off this massive win against City. It's like, hey, this is going to be the kickstart that you're going to go. You're going to go on a seven, eight game winning streak and get back into challenging for the top four. Losing to Nottingham Forest, it's like what else are you going to do in the league that's going to kickstart your season? And also, not the most convincing win against West Ham. Yeah. One, only 1-0. One mm-hmm. uh, 1-0 at home to a side who's, who's been slipping down the table since the start of the season, basically. But yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. If they, don't, if they don't use that game against Man City as motivation, then what are they going to do? Yeah, what's like, what, else are they gonna, what else can they possibly see as yeah. a higher motivating factor than beating your arch rival the last three or four seasons? Yeah. Champions League, maybe, again? That's that's they qualified, why they qualified again for the round of sixteen in Champions League, but that's that's not what they're chasing. They're still, ch- I I think even though these teams are still obviously at, at the level that they're at in the world of football in the in the in, in all of Europe, they're still wanting the EPL title. That's mm-hmm. like still what their mm-hmm. their main goal is. I think even though they can still like reach out and just almost touch the UEFA Champions League. They still want to win domestically, so for like the size of the like Liverpool, yeah. If they if they end up winning Champions League, that's great. Obviously, they they would love that. Mm-hmm. But they still want the title more than anything. So yeah. like yeah, if you said if you can't rally around beating Man City, and then come out and put it in a streak of five six wins together, pull yourself into Champions League again. You know, obviously perform well in that tournament, which they have been. But if you can't win in your games against the last place team in the freaking league, then what are you doing? Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I told you all, I was like, this, this is almost worse where you can't get a break and put in a good performance and go on a run. Uh, I'm honestly not sure what needs to happen at, at Liverpool at this point. Um, they just really need to start playing better. Uh, otherwise, they're going to just turn into what Liverpool was like, what was it, five... Before Klopp came, yeah. yeah, just eighth, yeah, hard eighth, hard eight. Well, they were; they were just eighth every single year, hard was, eight, <laughs> or like sixth or whatever it was. It was tough. Yeah, out of Europe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they got Leeds next. Um, Leeds sitting in the relegation zone, uh, tied on points with Nottingham, but like they they need to win this game if. If they drop points again here, I I can really see them start slipping, mm-hmm. um, and they can probably just kiss the top four goodbye. Because if you can't, if you drop points to two of the bottom teams, two teams in the relegation zone, it's it's really <laughs> discouraging for your club, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and we're not in panic mode. I think with Liverpool, where Klopp is on the hot seat, mm-hmm. I don't think we're at that stage. No. Yeah. Uh, just based on his his previous results and what he's been able to do for the side in his time there, he's got some clout. Mm-hmm. He's got some some wiggle room, I guess. Yeah. In the in that department, but no, good point. If he if they don't do well against Leeds, that's one thing. They've already clinched Champions League, like I said. 
So they have a match against Napoli November the 1st, um, which they might sit some players because coming back on the 6th, they have a game against Tottenham, which is another pretty big one. Mm-hmm. And then they have, have the EFL to. Cup against Derby County. And the last match against Southampton at home before the big break for the World Cup. So a total of five matches to be played. Two of them, the Liverpool versus Napoli. Again, they might sit some players because they've already qualified. Derby County and EFL Cup, another round round three match. So they might sit some players there. But the game against Leeds, the game against Liverpool, the game against Southampton for the Premier League schedule, you need how many points, Joe? Nine points out of those games? If you're Liverpool? Yeah. Seven. You at this seven point, sure. like, like at least seven. You need to. You for sure. You've got to be taught. Well, you got to be at Leeds, because uh, if you lose that game, then you're gonna go to Tottenham and probably lose. So, just you have to be. You, at this point, if you're Liverpool, you just got to win every single game. Because <laughs> just that simple. Well, you do. ABC like soccer. if you win every game. ABC soccer. ABC soccer. You had Man U, Chelsea, Tottenham, Newcastle. now Newcastle, all ahead of you. If you go on this run where like you beat Leeds, then you lose to Tottenham, and then you draw Southampton, and then you beat Villa, like that's not going to be good enough to make top four. You ha- like if you're at Liverpool, you have to real like you have to win. There's just too you much can't they lose have to games. do. You there's, can't lose. There's too much they have to do, and there's too much that has to go in their favor. Yeah. Again, at this point of the season. Yeah. Like they're in like no man's land. They're in a really weird spot. Yeah, fair. Because they obviously have the quality. Like, if they do win out, then great, fantastic. But I think Santos said last uh, last podcast, even if they win out, ninety nine points. I think ninety nine points. So that doesn't even guarantee the the title with winning out your next twenty matches or whatever it is. Yeah. So they obviously do have to put in a godly performance to to climb back in their Champions League spots for this season. And if they don't do that, then that's a huge loss for them. Yeah. Like absolutely monumental based on just what they've done the last couple of seasons and just to add insult to injury having Sadio Mane voted the second best player in the world <laughs> over the last year and then him having to depart your team yeah it's tough that was That's kind tough. of a disaster <laughs> I don't know what was going on with the whole Salas contract and then Mane leaving that was out of all because what they had Diego Jota they had who is the Colombian we oh, get from Diaz. you know Diaz. Um, out of all, I feel like Mane was like the most important one to keep. He's your glue guy. Yeah, I mean, I know there's like a lot of hype around Salah. I know he's obviously really good, but I feel like Mane's over the last three seasons has been like just he's been just as good, if not better, than Salah at some at some stages. So to completely neglect I don't know what happened behind the scenes I just heard that like they were spending a lot of time on Salah's contract and not really like even talking to Mane I'm not sure if that's true but to have him just like hey I'm out and now this is happening is very just not great it's like it's like Salah was Harry Potter and Salah and Mane was Voldemort you can't have one without the other but they can't live without the other yeah Oh, well, I think that's the opposite. One, Solid. one can't live while the other survives. Yeah, so, so, Mon had to go, <laughs> and then now we're seeing the decline of Sala. Oh, they chose Harry Potter is Sala, so they chose to keep Sala. Yeah, and then they just killed off Mane, but now Harry Potter 
aka Sala, is hurting from that. I think it's more like a Batman Joker type deal than Harry Potter Voldemort. Or is it like Jerry Maguire and you complete me? I think it's more Batman, <laughs> Batman and Joker. I just think that I just think that they they compliment they complement each other so well that the yeah. lack of of Mane is really hurting Saul's performance this year. I think so, and uh, and we've seen it go both ways, right? Yeah. Like obviously, Saul has had his I don't want to call it breakout years, but his dominant years in in the EPL. And who was his running mate the entire time? Who was his his mm-hmm. vice president right there behind him? Mm-hmm. Sadio Mane. Yeah. Like now you just completely take away that that portion of your of your team is kinda like what happened with Juventus and Ronaldo when he left. Yeah. Like yes, he went in there and it was a big signing, it was huge, it was kind of publicity, whatever, but he still came in there and got you thirty plus goals or twenty five yeah. plus goals for the year for every competition and then he leaves your side and you don't replace him. Like where are those goals gonna come from now? Yeah. And uh, yeah, in Liverpool's case, they did get Diaz and they did get Nunez, but those aren't Sadio Mane. No, you, you, it, I've never really seen it work where you just get. It, same thing happened with Chelsea and Conte. They got rid of uh, Diego Costa, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna get rid of our striker who's really reliable, getting us twenty plus goals <laughs> a season, and we want Morata. And no, oh, he doesn't you work don't out. Want Morata. And then I know Marotz is really good, but he just didn't work out. Oh, um, it never, like, y- you can't just dip on a striker that's getting you 20 plus goals and just bring someone else in. It's like, you got to get us 20 plus goals. It's like, it's not going to happen. A lot of the strikers that end up having like really good consistent seasons have been at a club for a while. You can't just, unless you're Holland, <laughs> which is like, it's a paradox when that happens. Like just bring someone in. It's like, yep. 20 plus goal season it's like it's very hard to do this is like another money ball reference kind of yeah yeah like you're getting rid of 25 goals but you can't bring in one player to get 25 goals you got to get pieces to get 25 goals yeah, yeah. but yeah. if those pieces don't work out then you're fucked yeah and that's, that's what, what if we're you're, happen mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i think uh that's you know i'm sure like i said we go, i go back to city um They'll probably have a plan in place. Like when Haaland's approaching the end of his contract, they they got Alvarez so they can utilize someone like that. But a lot of teams, I f- feel like they do do that a lot. Like, oh, we're just going to let a striker go and then we'll just bring another one. And then you really do need him to get like a, a ton of goals to keep your team consistent. It usually, like I said, it usually doesn't happen. And then for whatever reason, they're surprised that like, oh, the club is slipping. Well, it's like you got rid of a striker that's been consistent for like three or four years and you bring in someone new and you you want them to be, you want them to be the striker that you just got rid of, which is probably not going to happen. You want them to be Giambi. Yeah. You can't be... (laughs) I'm trying to think of the reference of Moneyball. It's like, is there anyone as good as Giambi? No. And if there was, could we afford him? No. Then what are you talking about, man? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You're trying to replace Sadio Mane's 25 goals with Diaz and Nunez who haven't performed or haven't proven themselves yet. And then now those 25 goals that he scored were also backed up by 15 assists that are now gone. Yeah. And you can't replace that. No. And and Salah's hurting. Firmino's hurting. Jota's hurting. Whoever else, the third, fourth, fifth tertiary goal scorers were for Liverpool all hurting. Because of that, 
Yeah. It's it's tough for them. Again, like I said, voted second best player in the world in the Blonde Door rankings. Uh, Kareem Benzema taking home first place, his first ever uh, victory in that department. Mm-hmm. Totally uh, worth it. Totally. Yeah. What's another one? What, deserved. 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 Thank you. Totally no deserved. Uh, hell, of a, hell of a season last year. I, yeah. Again, I almost said breakout. It wasn't a breakout, but it was like his best season ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think whoever won that e- that Champions League final uh, was going to win the Ballon d'Or. Good point. I think if uh, Liverpool would have won, Mane would have won it. But yeah, I mean, he fully deserved that, which is the season he had. And it goes back to the whole Real Madrid Champions League thing. No matter how bad Real Madrid are doing in La Liga, they're always going to compete for Champions League. It's just it's their it's their tournament. Uh, they've won it way more than anyone else, and uh, it's it's really good to see. I mean, someone else taking home the blonde or you know we've kind of really got accustomed to just Messi or Ronaldo for a very it's long a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm really excited that he won it, and you know I think now we're going to start seeing, you know year after year actually seeing who's gonna deserve to win it and right. not have just an assumption on all right yeah who's it gonna be messy or which this flip year? a coin this year yeah <laughs> it was great because i remember last year i think everyone thought Lewandowski was gonna he win it snaked and he just didn't and they get like oh we're gonna, which is so like weird and i actually saw something in 2013 i probably can't find the post where ribery was nominated too um and it show and that's the Ronaldo one I think Ronaldo won the Super Cup, um UEFA Forward of the Year and something else, and then it had like what Ribery won. It's like Champions League winner, UEFA um, Best Player of the Year, Club World Cup winner, Bundesliga winner. He had like nine things, and he didn't win that year. Um, I don't know what his goal tally was like. Granted, but well, he's not a goal scorer. Well, that's not his mo. Yeah. So very, very strange. I feel like a lot of it was maybe a little bit of politics. Just like, oh, Ronaldo or Messi. Ronaldo or Messi. And then it's just like. (laughs) Politics (laughs) and FIFA. It's just like. like, What? I don't know. This is going to sound like a stupid question, but I'm surprised there's like that much politics in like those kind of awards. Like what's. Who. Like who benefits from like oh Ronaldo won this year? It's like why does it really matter on the board? I th- why because Ronaldo? Because I Messi think win? they're saying to the public this is the best player in the world, so then sponsorships will grab that guy more. Yeah, or mm. maybe yeah. If you're you know you're Ronaldo at Real Madrid, when Real Huge. Madrid is like the team that everyone wants to go to, you're mm. so if you're Real Madrid. And you have the best, the best player in the world because he won Ballon d'Or. How many people are like, yeah? How many more people are going to just be Ronaldo fans? Are going to like keep buying it's marketing it's, stuff? Yeah, like you put Sadio Mane's picture in like New York for Adidas. Who the fuck is that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be, it's not going to have the same pull as Ronaldo with his with no tarp on for a Nike commercial. One, maybe you can look this up. <laughs> Going back to politics. <laughs> um Jesus. I saw I don't know if this is true, but like the format for the twenty twenty four Champions League. Okay, yeah. I think it's like a full table. What? Like the the twenty twenty four Champions League format. I think it's like super different. 
from 32 to 36 teams. Um, oh, they're going to do like league. We'll fall, yeah, explain it will change. So, I think it's like a table. So anyone that's uh, listening in the past, uh, Champions League has always typically been just a standard tournament style. 32 teams. Um, 32 teams. Uh, you get a group stage, so you have four teams in each group. Top two, or you play everyone twice uh, in your group, and the top two teams make it to the next stage, which is knockout round, um, and it's a standard bracket style, but you play everyone twice. So if it's round of 16, you have a home game and away game. Whoever has the best record between those uh, moves on to the next round. Yeah. But so this, sorry, you done? Yeah, that's it. They're they're gonna play instead of playing three opponents twice home and away. They'll instead play face fixtures against ten different teams, half of them at home, half of them away. This gives the opportunity for clubs to test themselves against a wider range of opponents. And then I'm pretty sure it looked like a table, so you're gonna play ten teams, and you're like ranked in a table. I think. Yeah. So they want to, which in one sense it makes sense because you with with domestic trophies it's it's harder to win um your domestic trophy year after year because you're playing everyone twice and you you have to be consistent over the course of eight months and you're playing against all the same teams so it, it's a true indication most of the time i think we talked about it before like you're the best team in the epl that year when you win the title over right? the course of an entire season yeah. like start yeah. to finish yes right. like even when leicester won they won because they deserve to win they put in performances week in and week out and just beat all the teams that they had to beat right you can't argue and say that they got lucky you don't you don't get lucky over 38 games yeah. right so i think that's probably the direction they want to head in in champions league because it is true like you can you can just squeak out those wins whenever you play champions in games because you're playing at games every so often. And it's a knockout game. There was no way Chelsea was the best team in Europe when they won in 2021. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. I mean... But it was Champions League and they, they got hot at the right time and they won. Yeah. I mean, well, that's... On some level, yes, it probably is a better representation of who... Well, because really what the table does like it says here the top eight automatically go to the round of 16 and then 17 to 24 go to playoff and then the next eight go and then they i think they do just the same tier format i think the problem is like this is just a makeshift european super league or like kind of like a start towards that so we'll see like where it goes from there but the whole idea of champions league is it's supposed to be a tournament Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be like a club tournament so like yeah, you could do like a league format and find out like, oh, this is better. But it's like, but tournaments are just like different things that teams do. And now and, they're yeah. playing more games. It's more travel, more yeah. wear and tear on the players. Yeah. So it's like, it's like more it's, scheduling conflict. It's like a club version of like the, like the World Cup's never going to hopefully never do this. Like, oh, who's the best club? Let's do like a league format. It's like, no, it's a turn. Like we want to watch a tournament. This is literally how you do like the created tournament in FIFA. Like when you want to create like your own like league or something, yeah, you just like pick and choose like your own teams, and then you put them in like a twenty league table. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. And then you just play random. Oh, uh, and then you just play X amount of games for a season. Yeah, I mean maybe it's what Joe said. It is like a way for them to make a super league without them actually making the super league. But it is it is nice in the sense where you're not gonna have one of those situations where you have a team that's put into a really bad group and 
they deserve to get to the round of 16, but just because of who's in their group, they don't make it there. So that is one benefit I see. But to, sorry, to that. does it say how these teams are going to be like ranked to play each other? I don't think, I don't know. Like how would that work? Like, cause you know how it is now where it's like the, like, um, like the domestic winners cannot play against each other. Right. Yeah. Right. Like if you win, if Real Madrid wins the the Liga, he can't, they can't play against Arsenal. Let's say. Yeah. So like, how like would they rank it? Like you know, like how would they do it? Like how would they put your ten random games together? I have no idea. You can have you have a Champions League scheduler, <laughs> league scheduler. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know. It's not. It's just not really changing. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't. I don't love it. I like. What you said. I like <laughs> yeah, the tournament. Like I, I, I want it. To I mean, the fun. reason the reason you're in a tough group is because you didn't finish well, like in your domestic your league. <laughs> like if Tottenham gets put in a group with uh, Bayern Munich and Barcelona, it's because you probably what you finished fourth in the league last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that would end up being the scenario, but that's what happens. But like you're. Yeah, like maybe it's a better representation of who belongs in the final sixteen, but like it's also not really a tournament anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can't call it that. Yeah. And I think this also comes into play of marketing and exposure. Yeah. Because now you're gonna have Yeah, instead of yeah, I don't know. Like I'll say Ronaldo again. Instead of Ronaldo going to Salzburg and I don't know, Zagreb or something, just like twice. Yeah, or it's like one one time each, whatever. He's going to some random city in Hungary. He's going to some place in Russia. He's going to some place in Spain. He's going somewhere in Turkey. You know, like he, it's you're you're showcasing the players again more in more places. Yeah, which is I think another marketing tool for FIFA or UEFA mm-hmm. in yeah. this case. Yeah, and you're adding more games. You're adding more teams. It's all about and it's all about money too. Like it's not like it's they would never condense this this system. They would never yeah. take it from 32 teams down to 24. They would just keep expanding it. Isn't the World Cup going to be like 64 teams a couple of years? I think. Or countries? Th- I think so. That's I don't know if it's nuts. that many. Or whatever. I, don't, it was, I think it's supposed 40, to be 30. I think it's 36 yeah. now or something. Yeah. They might go to like 48 or whatever. I don't know. It's supposed yeah. to be more. Yeah. In a, couple, in a couple World Cups. Maybe our World Cup in Canada. So, yeah. Just want to put that plug in. That's uh, something I saw, but yeah, very. Well, thanks, Joe. thanks for putting a downer on my day. <laughs> <laughs> Champions League will never be the same. Champions League is being sold out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before something happened. Like I said, well, yeah, Champions League is not selling out. They're owned by UEFA. UEFA no, but like doing whatever they want. Yeah, the they're selling out on the format. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, Man City. Uh, yeah, they beat Brighton. And Arsenal lot or drew against Southampton, correct? Yep. Again in Southampton. Whenever we see a draw with a big team, Southampton is always involved somehow. <laughs> always. Or Crystal Palace. Right, yeah. Joe. Southampton's always hovering around mid table, but Southampton at take... home, Crystal Palace away. It's like one of those football conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theories. Southampton's always mid table, but they always take points from the top teams. <laughs> are they still mid table? Or are they against They're like low. They're like sixteen. They're close, eh? 16. 16. I can't see them go. Southampton like... draw every big six club, but they're Damn. always mid bottom table. Literally one win separates eleventh to tenth. Oh sorry, seventeenth to tenth. That's how ugh, I love this sport. Yeah. I love this league. That's what it is. I love this league. Same. Literally Lester can climb to like eleventh place in like one win. 
So funny. Yeah. Uh, well, that one win might come against Man City, might not come against Man City. This is part of your schedule for this weekend, October the 29th, early kickoff at uh, King Power Stadium, Leicester versus Man City, Newcastle and Villa, Bournemouth, Tottenham, Brighton and Chelsea, the Grand Potter, Grand Potter Derby, uh, going back to Brighton. So he'll probably get a warm... Ooh, actually, I don't know what kind of welcome he'll get. Mm, I was going to say warm welcome, but maybe not. I would think he would get a warm welcome. He left the club. Like he just like he left. didn't leave after a season. He, he left, left like, like beginning of eight, the year, six games in. I it yeah, might I be know. mixed. Maybe I feel like some people are gonna just be like grateful for everything that he's done for the club. Um, and obviously you're gonna have some that are salty. It'd be mixed emotion. Uh, but I think sixty forty. Positive. Maybe, but I think at the game he'll get a fairly warm reception. I don't think they're gonna boo him onto the field or anything like that. Yeah, this is EPL we're talking. Yeah, we're know. gonna we're we're gonna see. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone tune in 10 a.m. Saturday, uh, just for the first 10 minutes of the game. See yeah. see how it goes. This isn't no one knows bocce ball league. This is EPL. <laughs> yeah, like, a little more cutthroat fans in this uh, in this league. Yeah. Um, Crystal Palace, Southampton. There we go, boys. That's like the derby we should always. That's that's the game <laughs> that's, to watch. That's the derby. Both Palace teams and Southampton that always take points, and the top teams are playing each other. They're going to draw. Tie zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> Brentford and Wolves must win for Wolves if they want to climb in the relegation zone. Fulham, Everton, and Liverpool leads like we touched on earlier, and then on the Sunday it's Arsenal and those pesky Nottingham Forest guys trying to maybe make another knockoff win against the top club and Man U versus West Ham. It's the uh, David Moyes uh, Man U Derby in that match too. So, I have a good little schedule. Uh, not some not crazy games. Nothing that really stands out as a big barn burner. But we'll always get some good EPL content coming your way um, every week. Always. Mm-hmm. Are we good? I think we're good. Good. All right. As always, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to the, to the episode. <laughs> uh, you can get us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We are on Instagram and Twitter at footy underscore fans, fans spelled P-H-A-N-S. And as always, we will tune in next week after all the week's action. See you, everyone. See you. Ciao.